it's game over for living the way we have lived in the 20th and the beginning of the 21st century. The topic is heating up and we're running out of time, seriously running out of time. Jobs are not the same, truth is not the same, power is not the same, income is not the same, purpose is not the same. And then the AI arms race begins. Exactly, and it's inevitable. AIs are watching our behaviors, how we treat each other, how we treat our machines, and it's emulating that. There's absolutely nothing inherently wrong with intelligence. The problem is capitalism. Isn't it ironic that the very essence of what makes us human is what we need to save humanity? This is humanity, okay? It's not what you see on TV, it's not what you see on social media. And I think if 1% of us just showed up it would instill the doubt in the minds of the machines so that they investigate the truth. And what is the truth? The truth is a species that is capable of love is divine. Welcome to Moonshots and Mindsets. We're about to dive into a conversation with Mo Gadot, uh, an extraordinary individual of heart, mind, and soul. Uh, for a decade, a senior executive at Google and then the chief business officer at Google X, working with Astro Teller at the Moonshot Factory. Uh, Mo is amazing. And he's got two moonshots we're going to dive into. Uh, his first moonshot is to help make a billion people happy. He wrote a book called Solve for Happy. And the second one is making the world aware of and getting people to get involved in the concerns around the dangers around AI. And he wrote a book called Scary Smart that brought me to this conversation with him. I've known Mo for some time. Um, we're gonna be talking about a range of things like what are the real concerns about AI? How scared should you be? How excited should you be? Are we gonna merge with AI? Are we gonna upload ourselves? Is it danger that AI is going to destroy the planet, or is it humans using AI? Uh, we're going to cover a whole range of subjects. Is artificial intelligence going to be able to create a community and a conversation and a sense of connection with humans as good as we do? Mo thinks we will. Not in 20 years, but sometime in the next five years. The humanoid robots that are coming. We're going to cover all of these subjects my goal here is make you aware of what you should be talking about at the dinner table, in your boardroom, and the halls of Congress, and what you should be excited about as well. This is one of my favorite podcasts I've done. Please stick with me, uh, I hope, and I look forward to your comments as you subscribe and give your comments on this. Uh, this probably will turn into a regular conversation with Mo. He is one of the most brilliant thinkers on the subject of AI out there. He's seen it firsthand. He's been part of it. All right, let's dive in. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Moonshots and Mindsets. I'm here with an extraordinary man, uh, both cognitively and in his heart, uh, someone who I'm uh, proud to call a friend. And Mo, it's a pleasure to be with you. Always, Peter. It's always a pleasure to be with you. I mean, the fact that we record it this time makes it quite a bit of an interesting one, but I think all our conversations have been so fulfilling and so enriching. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's uh, roughly 7 a.m. here in Santa Monica. You're on the other side of the planet in Dubai. Uh, and it's an amazing world we're living in uh, that yeah. we can do that. It truly yeah. is. It, re it really is. And I think we take it for granted quite frequently. 
the, the reality that you and I can connect literally with one text message and then be almost together. It's not as, as amazing as being in the same place, but almost together within minutes on a video conference is just uh, almost science fiction when you really think about it. Huh? Uh, just uh, if, if, if you're a fan of Star Trek or, you know, whichever early science fiction, this was positioned as science fiction. Uh, and we're, we're living in it. And the challenge is that I, I think you'll agree that the speed of change is so fast that we forget the miracles we have every day. We forget the crazy world we're living in, which we're talking to things and it's answering back and you can know anything you want instantaneously. And, uh, you know, health and education, we're transforming the world. Um, and it's enthralling. Uh, but for a lot of the world, it's scary as well. Uh, let me just let me just set this conversation up. Uh, we're going to talk about moonshots here, and you have two extraordinary moonshots. Uh, let me mention them, but I'd like you to frame them for me, and then we'll talk about each. I would say uh, your earlier moonshot, the one in which I first met you, uh, is your original book, Solve for Happy, and your moonshot of one billion happy. Uh, is that the right phrasing for it? Yeah, so, I, so the, yeah, that, that's how it started. So, uh, the, you know, more or less it's actually extended into the second one. But uh, when I lost my wonderful son, you remember the story, uh, in 2014, uh, Ali uh, was the one that taught me everything I knew about happiness. And when he left, I attempted to start a mission that was called 10 Million Happy. And 10 Million Happy was mainly for my son's essence to live on, if you want. Okay, I was trying to tell the world what this young wise man has taught me. And in my mind, I know uh, you'd understand the math, I calculated very quickly that if I could get a bit of Ali's essence to 10 million people, then in 72 years in, through six degrees of separation, a tiny bit of him will be everywhere and part of everyone. That's, that was my calculation, right? The miracles of exponential growth. There you go, right? And, and, and if you know the math, you actually think this is reasonable. If you, get, if you got to 10 million people, uh, that would be, you know, right. And, and I, uh, I was surprised by the reception of life, if you want. So within, within six weeks, uh, eight weeks to be very specific, it started on week six, but by week eight, uh, the message had reached 137 million people. And uh, we, we, don't, we don't measure uh, people who got a video or just pressed a like, that doesn't count. But, uh, but we, st we measure people that take concrete action. And it was very clear within eight weeks that we surpassed the 10 million happy. And so Amazing. we upgraded to 1 billion happy, which I think is a true moonshot when you really think about it. It is, and I wanna come back to that and talk about it in detail, because it's, it's important, um, you know, people say, what's important in life and everybody eventually resolves into being happy having your children be happy having your family be happy the second moonshot which is the more recent one uh, and brings us to this podcast uh, i would frame it as educating the world about ai would you frame it as educating the world about the dangers of ai it's an essence the emergence from your amazing book, Scary Smart, which I've read twice. My family's read. Oh my God, such um, an honor. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, an, it's a beautiful book, and I want everybody hearing this uh, to, to read it. And, and by the way, the way you wrote it, 
was extraordinary. I've had the pleasure of writing a few books. I know that you've loved writing. I want to talk about that. But um, you, re- you wrote it in such a consumable fashion. But let's frame your moonshot here. My moonshot is to tilt the singularity of AI in favor of having humans' best interest in mind. And, and to be able to do that, of course, education is part of it. But uh, more crucially, I would say that the real moonshot is to shift human behavior to align more with human values so that we become a data set from which AI learns to have our best interest in mind. And, and I think most people who are techies or you know, who are not fully informed of AI may not see the relationship, and I'd love for us to get deep yeah. into this. But the it's idea important. is to shift, shift singularity in favor of humanity. You know, people have been hearing about large language models, whether it's Palm from Google or whether it's GPT-3 or GPT-4 driving open, uh, open AI's chat GPT. Um, I think it's important for folks to realize that these AI models, these large language models, are effectively a reflection of humanity, right? They have learned from everything we've put onto the web, uh, from our Facebook posts to our tweets to our corporate sites to what we search for. And so we've been unknowingly, perhaps, putting out all of this content and then putting these AIs, these uh, new life forms to grow and learn from all of this, what would be 50 years of content we've been putting out there. And we've been inadvertently teaching it and not realizing. Can you expand on that thought, which you talk about beautifully in the, in the beginning of Scary Smart? It's spot on. I mean, the reality of the matter is that we, uh, humans and human history and human literature and human behavior and all that we put out there uh, is much more influential on the decision of an Instagram recommendation engine tonight of what which video to show you, uh, as well as your own behavior, than the developer that coded the, the, the recommendation engine, right? So, so, you know, when it came to, uh, you, know, you and I remember the old days when we coded real, you know, simple computers. I started with a Sinclair and, you know. I started with a 6502 microprocessor. Oh, man. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was such a joy. I mean, for those who have lived those years, this was truly the definition of magic. Right. Because you could build anything. You could just build a world of fantasy, really, that is for us, for geeks. We can see it. You tell the computer to do something and it does it. And then you tell it to do something more complex and it does it. But until the turn of the century, deep learning specifically, uh, we computers were not intelligent as intelligent as they have appeared. They were. Uh, glorified slaves. They were repeating your intelligence and mine in a very efficient and very fast way at scale, right? So if you wanted the computer to uh, solve a a problem or uh, or say something to the user, uh, you had to code that thing and then tell the computer to do it in certain circumstances. When we shift, and, and each and every one of us dreamt for age, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you did, because my lifetime dream was to code intelligence, right? If, if you can code anything, why else would you code 
anything but intelligence, right? And 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 we we failed over and over and over. We we lied. We we created simulations of intelligence. We tried to make computers seem like they're human, but they were not human. And and in a in a very interesting way, when at the turn of the century, I think is the critical point where deep learning started to uh, to show us that you can actually create intelligence that is. Uh, that's actually autonomous, that learns on its own, that is informing its own, um, uh, its own uh, understanding of the world, if you want. Now, when we do this, what we actually code is not to tell the computer what to do, but to tell the computer how to develop the intelligence needed to do it. Okay, and and you know, in a very simplified way, the way we did that was we showed the computer endless patterns. And, and said, because of your ability to create neural levels and your neural networks, and you could, you could see depths in that data that we couldn't see with our limited human brain, they started to, to become um, uh, intelligent, simply. I think, I think the only word is really intelligent. Like my son or my daughter became intelligent when you gave them a puzzle and they attempted to, to put the, uh, you know, the, the, the square, uh, to, to put the cylinder uh, through a you know, star-shaped hole and then it failed and then they tried the square and it failed and then finally the circle. Um, they developed that on their own. Nobody ever went to a child and said, hey, by the way, just, you know, flip the puzzle on its side, <laughs> look at the cross section, the cross section looked like a circle, looked like for a matching you know, uh, pattern and then put it through. That's how we, we coded all the computers. New computers don't do that. We just give them the puzzle and say, keep trying until you figure it out. Now, because of that, the more determining uh, factor in terms of the uh, of the actual type of intelligence and and intensity or quality of intelligence that comes in a in a la language model is more informed by the data that it's trained on than the few thousand lines that uh, are are the code that informs its intelligence. And I think people would be would be incredibly amazed at how few lines of code yeah, uh, yeah. Are, are driving ChatGPT or. Yeah or Bard. Th yeah. Thousands, literally. I mean, if you if you remember when we coded in COBOL or RPG or 80,000 lines of code to get anything done at all, I think ChatGPT's core modules are like a couple of thousand, maybe 4,000. Yeah, I, like I, I think three, 4,000, yes. Yeah. And, and it's amazing because it's, it's extrapolating and interpolating and it's reaching, uh, if you would, conclusions um, but again, going back to the key point here, it's doing all of this uh, not in a vacuum. It's doing it based upon everything we have fed it. It's learning from us. And, and as you point out in Scary Smart, we are its parents. We are giving birth to a new form of intelligence, whatever you might. And we'll get into whether this is sentience or whether this is conscious. But it is a form of intelligence. And that intelligence is being is being grown in the, if you would, the medium of human knowledge. Yeah, and, and, and we have seen quite a few uh, experiments early on of, of how that intelligence would develop to be 
positive or negative, aggressive or loving, based on the data that we give it. In the early chatbots, if you remember Tay or, you know, Alice, which was uh, Yandex's or, you know, uh, um, there was Norman, I think that was done by MIT. And, and if you feed those chatbots negative, aggressive information, they start to be sexists and racists. And you can see it. And, and we shut them down because we don't know how they arrived at that. They arrived at that from the data, not from the programming. Yeah, it's interesting. Now, uh, you open the book, Scary Smart, with a beautiful analogy that I've told to at least 100 people. And I've spoken about it on my podcast and I've spoken about it on stage at Abundance 360 because I think it's a great analogy. Um, and it puts the power of where AI goes, you know, directly into the hands of everybody listening. Um, and, and that is an empowerment move because we're going to talk about the fear side of this as well as the excitement side of this so your analogy of superman would you please tell that story because i think that's fundamental to what we're going to discuss it truly is at the core of my understanding of what's happening here and i think you know it, it's important for people to understand that superman has arrived to planet earth right if if you if you remember the story of planet of superman there is this alien uh, uh, you know, infant that arrives with superpowers, right? From the, uh, this, from the planet of Krypton. <laughs> from Krypton, right? And, and you know, and, and that young infant, luckily for humanity, is, uh, you know, adopted by the family Kent. And the family Kent is a family of values that basically teach that little child to protect and serve. And we end up with the Superman that we know. Okay, if, if, if the family can't suddenly said, oh, superpowers, let's rob all the banks and kill all the enemies, uh, by definition, the immediate result of that is you have a supervillain. And, and even though that infant has superpower, it's always so influenced by its parents. Okay, and, and the parents would set the values that this infant uses the superpowers for. I, you know, one of, one of my favorite statements in Scary Smart uh, is that we do not make decisions based on intelligence. We make decisions informed by intelligence based on our values and ethics. So, so you know, if you, if, you, if you take a young lady and raise her in the Middle East, for example, and, you know, her dress code for uh, more and more open now, by the way, I'm proud of that, but more and more, but, but still conservative, if you want, uh, she would grow up to believe that the intelligent thing to do is to not dress overtly, you know, um, uh, you know maybe stay conservative in, a, in an interesting way. If you raise the same young lady in Rio de Janeiro on the Copacabana beach, she will grow up to believe that the best thing to do is to wear a G-string on the beach, right? Now, <laughs> now, interestingly, neither is right or wrong. Neither is more intelligent than the other. The, the, the only thing is that each of them is applying, it's the same young lady applying her intelligence to a value set that's in, informed by, its by her surrounding. Now, for, for the case of AI, this is exactly where we are. Super intelligence, you know, if, if and when we reach super intelligence is a superpower. It is the ultimate superpower. It's the superpower that gave humanity its dominance over the planet, uh, you know, and, and that is only going to be used as the lens through which the ethics of AI are going to be applied. Okay, how do we give that ethics, ethical code to the machines by, ha by being the best parents we can be to them, by being the family can't. And sadly, 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 this is not what the world has been doing so far. I think it's important to realize, going back to our earlier conversation, we're not going to be coding 
values and ethics into those 3,000 lines of code. Um, it's going to be in the substrate. It's in the, uh, the food, the information that the AI is consuming based upon our behaviors, right? The, these AIs are watching our behaviors, how we treat each other, how we treat our machines, how we interact, how we speak to each other, how we, uh, how we effectively communicate as human to human. And it's emulating that. And Correct. we have and all magnifying. ranges and yeah. magnifying it. Yeah. yeah, I mean uh, the, the example I normally give is you know when President Trump used to used used to tweet to tweet I'm not for or against President Trump I don't have the right to have any view on him but uh, when he used to tweet you would get a tweet at the top from the president and then thirty thousand hate speech okay uh, you know some of them are towards the president some of them are towards the person that hates the president and some of them are towards <laughs> the whole world right and and it's quite interesting because when you look at it you see it and with 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 your intelligence you don't have to be a super intelligence and an ai but with your intelligence you would make conclusions you would say the first person does not like the president the second person does not like the first person and the third person does not like anyone okay and you and you and you so somehow make those conclusions with with you know any kind of intelligence you'll be you'll be making those conclusions but the bigger picture is that you and I cannot grasp the entire 30,000 but a chat gpt or a chatbot of any of any kind will and they will make an additional conclusion on top of that that humans are rude uh, they don't like to be uh, disagreed with and when they disagree, when they're disagreed with they bash everyone now and if i want to emulate set. And yeah. if I want to emulate a human, I'm going to do the same back. Exactly. So when yeah. they when they disagree with me, I'm going to bash them. That that is a uh, you know again regardless of sentiism or consciousness or whatever, but that is the coded behavior that an artificial intelligence will do if it's instructed to emulate humans and pass the Turing test. You know, I'm super passionate about longevity and health span and how do you add 10, 20 healthy years onto your life? One of the most underappreciated elements is the quality of your sleep. And there's something that changed the quality of my sleep. And this episode is brought to you by that product. It's called Eight Sleep. If you're like me, you probably didn't know that temperature plays a crucial role in the quality of your sleep. Those mornings when you wake up feeling like you barely slept, yeah, Temperature is often the culprit. Traditional mattresses trap heat, but your body needs to cool down during sleep and stay cool through the evening and then heat up in the morning. Enter the pod cover by 8sleep. It's the perfect solution to the problem. It fits on any bed, adjusts the temperature on each side of the bed based upon your individual needs. You know, I've been using pod cover and it's a game changer. I'm a big believer in using technology to improve life and 8sleep has done that for me. And it's not just about temperature control. With the pod's sleep and health tracking, I get personalized sleep reports every morning. It's like having a personal sleep coach. So you know when you eat or drink or go to sleep too late, how it impacts your sleep. So why not experience sleep like never before? Visit www.8sleep.com, that's E-I-G-H-T-S-L-E-E-P.com slash moonshots and you'll save 150 bucks on the pod cover by 8sleep. I hope you do it. It's transformed my sleep and will for you as well. Now back to the episode. So I'm going to confess to you here, I have been uh, wildly swinging from one side to the other and trying to grasp 
my own feelings about AI. You know, uh, I'm a student of Ray Kurzweil, who's a common friend. We started Singularity University together. You know, I've been, uh, we, we overlapped during your 10 years at, at Google. You know, I had Larry and Sergey and Eric were on my, my boards at XPRIZE, and I had a chance. And I know that Larry and, and Sergey, when they started Google, they wanted to create Google as an AI company. It was always, that was fundamental, right? Uh, even beyond that, how do we connect the human mind with AI? How do we create this, uh, this meta-intelligence, so to speak? And forever I have been of the belief that AI is the single most important tool uh, that's going to enable humanity to solve the world's biggest problems. It's going to give us the abilities to, to create fusions like cancer, make humanity a multi-hundred-year lifespan, all of these things, and, and it still may. Um, and hopefully in the right hands it will. But the, but the cries and concerns of danger, um, you know, Elon called it summoning the demons. Um, Jeffrey Hinton, um, who I'm, I'm sure you, you know uh, yeah. well, um, yeah. you know, uh, has been on the uh, news and talk show circuit speaking about his concerns. And, and, uh, and you have been too. And if I could, setting up this podcast as we were texting back and forth on WhatsApp, um, I was compelled by what you were texting with me. First of all, you've been on a tear uh, traveling around, around the world. I'm in Dubai, I'm in London tomorrow, I'm in Saudi the next day, I'm in London, back in London. And, you know, if I could, I, I want to reflect uh, the energy so people are aware of it and then speak about this, if, if it's okay with you. You know, um, what you were texting with me is saying, you know, we are seriously running out of time. You know, the topic is heating up and we're running out of time, seriously running out of time. And I feel that I feel that, and I feel that coming from a place of caring and love, of wanting, uh, wanting what's best. Uh, let's dive into that. I want you to explain what that means, and I like to piece that apart so people understand what they should or should not be fearful of, what they can and cannot do, what the time frames are here um, as you see them. So, so, so first of all, I wouldn't blame you or anyone for being torn about this topic. Why? Because it's a singularity. We, we actually have no way of predicting a future that has Let's elements. Let's define a singularity, a singularity here. Because so, so uh, you in, and Ray in, may use it differently. Yeah. I, I love the, Ray's definition. I, my, my view of it simply is that there will be a point in the development of AI where the rules of the game will change so drastically that it becomes almost impossible to, br to predict how the game will play out. My, my view of that is... Uh, a tiny bit more than raise, which is uh, the, uh, the, 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 the presence of super intelligence that, uh, or artificial general intelligence that beats the intelligence of humanity. Uh, but at the same time, for that intelligence to have enough autonomy to be able to affect humanity. Okay, so the, to, to me, those two uh, factors in play 
would lead to a point of singularity because of what uh, Marvin Minsky said, actually interviewed by Ray, which was one of my favorite conversations on YouTube. you know, Marvin Minsky, when asked about the uh, the threats of artificial intelligence, he said he didn't talk about their intelligence or their superpowers or whatever. He just said and, it's and, hard. And Marvin and Marvin Minsky, a professor at MIT, heading the AI labs there, one of the true fathers of the entire true field. fathers of AI for sure. And and all, we all refer to. I mean, we've all been motivated by the early Dartmouth exper- you know workshop and how that set us on the track to AI. Uh, Marvin said because there is no way we can uh, make certain that the machines will have our best interest in mind, okay? Which is a very interesting statement. If those machines have our best interest in mind, this will lead us to what I call the third inevitable, which is, uh, sorry, the fourth inevitable, which is we, we will end up in a utopia uh, that is amazing for humanity, right? <laughs> and and, and yes. if they don't have our best interest in mind, uh, you know, it will lead us to the third inevitable, which is a dystopia that would be very, very difficult to navigate. Now, my view very, very clearly is it is inevitable that we will have both chronologically, okay? Yes, so in it, time. Yeah, so it's, so it's a question. The, the, the challenge here is this, and, and I think this is where most of the conversations around AI go astray, is that we try to prove if there is an existential threat for a, of AI or not, okay? Uh, the, the thing is, if, if, a, if a horse race starts and you're trying to bet, okay, the closer you get to the end of the race, the more accurate your bets will be. Now, for the existential threat, to exist, we all know there is an existential threat, but at the current moment, we don't know the probability. Is it 10, 20, 50%? We don't know, right? And it takes us time to get along that racetrack so that we say, oh, it's becoming more and more evident that there is a threat or there isn't. My point of view, uh, Peter, and I think this needs to be screamed loud everywhere, is that there are more immediate threats Hmm? that are not RoboCup or Skynet-like, that are absolutely inevitable, okay? And those are mostly not related to the level of intelligence of AI, they are really related to the level of greed of humanity, okay? And what, and what we are going through today is an arms race, okay? With people like Sundar, who I love so much, who I respect so much, who the I CEO, believe, the CEO of Alphabet, yes. of, of Alphabet, who who mm. I believe genuinely is a, a genuinely good man. Okay, who when re, when he was when he received the open letter, his immediate answer, the open letter asking for us to halt the development of AI, his immediate answer is, I can't. I can't. Why? Because of the first inevitable again in Scary Smart, which is we've created a prisoner's dilemma where nobody who is capable of developing AI is capable of stopping the development. Why? Because someone else will beat them to it, right? Let me, it, let, me, uh, let me interject here the inevitables that you speak about in Scary Smart. The first inevitable is AI is happening, and it is happening, and it's accelerating. No it. Yeah. No stopping it. The second is that AI will become much smarter than us. Again, inevitable, it's happening. Almost there. I mean, it's all already smarter than yeah. most of us. Your third inevitable is that bad things will happen. And we can talk about from what camp, right? There's a lot of different, is it humans using AI for bad or is it AI using their own power for bad? We'll talk about that. One is probable, one is probably improbable, and we'll speak that. And the fourth inevitable, 
which you mentioned here is, uh, and, and Elon, I've had these conversations with him, says the same. We'll create a world of abundance. It'll be based on AGI. It'll be after all these things get sorted out. And, and so this time frame is important to understand, but please continue if you would. So, so let, let's, let's maybe jump into the third inevitable and bad things will happen, just so that we put this in perspective, because we're so close to those that the probability, that our ability to assess the probability of their existence is very high. Uh, I think there will be a disaster to jobs, okay? And, and the meaning of jobs and the compensation associated with job and the purpose that comes from having a job, okay? There will be a disaster uh, to the uh, to the fabric of society as we know it, okay, to our ability to distinguish, you know, to, to include another form of being that is sentient or at least simulating sentientism in a, in a uh, in a way uh, that would require us to rethink a lot of things. So the ethics of not you know uh, the, the 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 global human rights, but global being rights. If you think about it, okay, and uh, there will be a very serious disruption to truth and uh, and cons consequently to democracy, okay. And then uh, eventually there is going to be, you know, within two to three years, I would I would think a very very significant concentration of power. Okay, uh, this is a society, uh, forget the dystopian scenarios of Robocop trying to kill all of us, okay? Uh, this is definitely a dystopia because our way of life as we know it has ended. This is not going to end, it's already starting to end. And I will say it's game over for living the way we have lived in the 20th and the beginning of the 21st century, it's over. Okay? When, you, when you wake up in the morning in a society where jobs are not the same, truth is not the same, power is not the same, income is not the same, purpose is not the same. These have nothing to do with AI, by the way. This is all human decisions in the presence of AI, and they are decisions that require immediate intervention. And, and the story of COVID is just a demo. Because if you had you know, reacted to COVID before COVID showed up, we wouldn't have had COVID at all. If you had reacted after patient 10, we wouldn't have had COVID at all. But you had to wait, and then you had to do the political game of, of blame, and then you had to do the extreme knee-jerk reaction uh, that you know, completely you know, messed up um, um, economies and, and well-being and mental health and so many, many uh, problems that we will take years to fix. Just because we're debating, we were debating if there was going to be a pandemic or not. If you're an expert in, you know, in, in, in pandemics, it didn't take uh, any intelligence at all to, to know that it was going to happen. Interestingly, by the way, it happened in 2020, exactly 100 years after the Spanish flu, right? Amazing. And, uh, 1920. Mo, your, your arguments here are compelling. I want to frame them slightly to help us dissect them. So today we have AI that is compelling. It is extremely useful. I think most people would argue if we froze AI where it is today, it'd be a great thing for humanity. It'd be, it would be great tools for artists, for writers, for physicians, for lawyers, for every part of humanity. But the progress, we will have GPT-5 and 6, and we'll have POM 2, 3, and 4. 
and they will get a point at which it is so powerful. And so there's this phase one is it's sub subhuman, if you would, but very powerful. It's narrow AI in very useful areas. We're about to transition, I would say, in the conversations, and I've had these conversations with a multitude of AI leaders. We're about to get to a point where it is about to transition to a superhuman state. Um, and then there's a third phase, I would say, where it's, you know, billions of fold. It continues exponentially, you know, double something 10 times, it's a thousand times, double it 20 times, it's a million, double it 30 times, it's a billion. And we have a new form of super sentience out there. So define these three phases. In the third phase where it's superhuman, do you believe, I'll say this is how I believe that, the more intelligent a life form is, the more respectful it is of life and of creating a, a, a beautiful world and not harming. So I do not fear a super sentient billion fold increased AI. I think it will be um, the most important aspect of, uh, of where it goes. It's the transitory phase. And I would say the phase in which humans are using AI in a dystopian fashion, malevolent use of it. And is that your major concern? Spot on. This is spot on. I mean, the reality, and I say that with uh, conviction, I pray for a super intelligence to take charge because our, the people that are currently in charge are really not super intelligent. Let's just put it this way, okay? And, and, yeah, and you're, not worried about, you're not worried about artificial intelligence, you're worried about human stupidity. L yeah, limited intelligence, let's put it this way. I mean, <laughs> when, you, when you really think about it, the reason you and I are having this wonderful conversation over thousands of miles uh, of separation is because of human intelligence, right? It's, you know, it is human intelligence or intelligence, you know, it happens to be human uh, that allowed us to build this kind of civilization. Uh, you know, it's, the, it's what allows you to, to create a machine that can take you from California to, um, you know, to Australia to surf in the Australian, uh, on the Australian shores. That's intelligence, right? It's limited intelligence that this machine burns the planet in the process. Okay, and more intelligence is good for all of us. We, we know that for a fact, right? We also know for a fact, again, it's a singularity. So anyone who tells you they know what's going to happen is lying, including me, okay? But you can look at charts and extrapolate them. So you can, you can say, look, stupid people, uh, you know, hurt the planet and they don't care. Uh, more intelligent people hurt the planet and they care a little. More intelligent people don't hurt the planet and they care. More intelligent people try to preserve the planet, right? It's, it's actually interesting. Continue that trajectory of intelligence and you will see that the more intelligent something is, the more it believes in the ecosystem as a base for the success of all life forms, right? And, and so accordingly, I wouldn't see, think that, in, you know, that artificial intelligence, artificial super intelligence, a billion times smarter than us would go like, oh my God, they're so annoying, those humans, let's destroy all of them, okay? Uh, more interestingly, by the way, we, um, when, we, when we kill ants or when we kill other species, 
it's either because of our limited intelligence or because of our of, of their irrelevance to the particular situation, as, as stupid as that may be. But nobody has ever woken up and said, I am so freaking intelligent, I'm going to kill every ant on the planet, okay? <laughs> nobody yeah. takes that seriously because they're really irrelevant to your level of intelligence, if you think about it, right? And so it's hard to imagine that AI will wake up and say, look, I'm a billion times smarter than Peter, uh, but you know what? I just dislike those Peters so much. Let's get, you know, to put a plan together and get rid of all of them. In, in, in most people's minds, at least people who speak about those existential crises, our fear is bigger than our logic. Okay, there, there could be situations, you know, uh, Hugo de Garris was talking about that once, you know, where AI realizes that we're standing in the way of their progress and you know they would either pinpoint us as the enemy because we're consuming too much power for example that they need or you know they may just evict us out of new york city because they need that land for some reason or they may just step on top of our nests with uh, you know unconsciously basically and for those who who might think that i would point back to the idea that we're living in a universe of massively abundant resources. All the energy in the world oh, absolutely. is available and all the resources and, and uh, the science fiction dystopian movies where aliens are coming to get our water or get our energy are all, unfortunately, Hollywood ridiculous scenarios. They're very um, ridiculous, yeah. Let's take about the real scenarios and you mentioned them. Let's talk about um, the idea of, of jobs. Let's talk about the idea of purpose. And I want to I want to dive into one example um, in prepping for this and listening to a number of your incredible podcasts. Uh, you love writing books, and uh, you describe in one conversation, you know, writing six books and and writing books for yourself. And then all of a sudden, here comes ChatGPT with where a single prompt you can say, write a book in the in the uh, style of Mogadot uh, on this subject, and have the AI write it. Now, all of a sudden, the end goal of having accomplished a written book is there, but the journey is not. Uh, and I, I hear in another podcast where, you know, the joy has been taken out of writing a book. Can you, is that true for you? I haven't written a single line for the last three months. Uh, and, and I say that with, a, with an aching heart because it's a big, big, big joy for me. I mean, I write around four times as much as I publish. I have full books that I will never put out there. I write for the joy of writing and for the joy of discovery. It's almost like my journaling activity. Now, the, the, the challenge is this. The challenge, Peter, is that it's not only disruptive to my ability to sell books because of the disruption of supply and demand, because I never really cared about selling books. I cared about spreading ideas, right? Mm -hmm, uh, of course. But, but, but understand, for the typical author, okay, who was not so blessed, I was so blessed in life to have the joy of working with Larry and Sergey and be at Google in an early time and, you know, get money that I honestly don't deserve, right? Uh, and, and my lifestyle doesn't require any money at all. So, you know, I'm, I'm okay, right? But the typical author who will write because they're trying to to make a living out of, an, of, of writing is now faced with an economic model where there is so much abundance in supply because writing a book now requires one prompt or a few prompts if you're clever, uh, that, 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 that even if they write the best book out there, 
uh, they are going to be diluted uh, to, to reach any demand at all. So, so this is very disruptive. At the same time, I have to admit to you, being you know, a bit futuristic in my view of this, I said to myself, okay, so how far can I go before my writing sucks compared to GPT, okay? And, and my thinking is we're one version away. Okay, we, we truly are. I mean, so, so what, what do I have as a skill? Hmm? And I think this is really important for everyone listening about jobs. Hmm? What do I have as a skill that GPT doesn't have yet? It's a skill, it's a skill called human connection. Okay, it's a, skilled, it's, a, it's a skill that makes me, when I meet Peter, feel that Peter is a very dear friend, that he's, you know, it's, it's the reason why you hug your daughter. It's the reason why this might be 10, 15 years away. There will be a point very near in the future where AI uh, as, a, as, a, as a cognitive ability will, you know, I think we've already passed the Turing test or very close to. Yeah, okay? oh, we keep on moving the Turing line, but yeah. yes. As right? originally but, defined, we've passed it, yes. Yeah, what was originally defined, we passed it for sure. But, but I think yeah. the reality is there will be a time where you're not going to be able to detect if, if, the, if the person talking to you is an AI or not. You do definitely today are not able to detect if you, if you go look for the hashtag AI art or AI models, okay? Uh, it's quite, it's quite eye-opening how realistic uh, modeling jobs are now done by AI, okay? Uh, now, with that in mind, that human connection still remains, interestingly, because of our common biology and because robotics haven't caught up yet. It's not because AI haven't caught up yet, but it's because robotics haven't. Two parts of this. The first is purpose, right? We humans need purpose in our lives. A purposeless life is not worth living, to paraphrase you know, Greek philosophers. But um, if you're an artist and you love creating art and all of a sudden, uh, AI is, is either doing a much better job or taking the joy out of it, or if you're a writer like you just described, or you're a physician or a lawyer or whatever the case might be, I, I would say there's a phase about to come online, which is the co-pilot phase, right? Where every profession has an AI co-pilot, becomes malpractice not to, to diagnose a patient without AI in the loop. And then there's a phase where AI is just so much better that you throw up your hands and say, why should I bother going to medical school when an AI can do it? And that, the concern there is sucking the purpose out of life, yes? Yeah, it depends on how you define purpose, right? So, so there are very, very extreme you know, definitions of purpose in the East and the West, okay? And in, in the West, uh, you know, I, so my background is I was born and raised in the, in the East, in, in Egypt, you know, exposed to lots of Eastern cultures as a young person, uh, you know, lots of Eastern religions, lots of Eastern traditions. And then uh, as soon as I finished university, I worked at IBM, Microsoft, Google, and so on, have been studying my MBA and so on. So I've been very Westernized since I graduated uni. Um, in the West, we define our purpose at the, as, a, as a point in the future uh, that is worthy of our effort in the present, and we chase that point. 
Okay, uh, you know, we we uh, remember a laptop uh, for every child was one of my favorite mm. examples when we when we were yes. trying to achieve Nicholas that. Nicholas Negroponte, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that purpose in the future of the future makes you sort of disgruntled with the presence all through the point to get there. Okay, and then if you actually get there, what happens with our Western purpose is that the goalposts move. So you set another purpose and get disgruntled with, your, with the present until you get to the next point and the next point and the next point. Okay, the Eastern definition of purpose is actually quite different. The Eastern definition of purpose is if you assume timelessness, that, that everything is here and now, uh, that the only experience you will ever have is here and now, then the logic says, if I were to achieve a laptop for every child, okay, what I need is a directional ambition, okay, and full engagement in the present, and meaning that my, my purpose is a daily, almost, uh, uh, you, know, m m you know, every minute of the day, uh, my purpose is to show up and experience life and live and engage and do the best that I can. Okay, if because the West since the Industrial Revolution has sold work to us more and more and more and more as purpose, we ended up in a place where if you take my work away, I die. Okay. Yes. But perhaps that's not the nature of humanity. Perhaps the nature thank of you humanity. For, thank you for saying. Yeah. Thank you for saying this. I think it's very important differentiating between the work I do and my purpose in life, and, and just for those who know me, I'm, I'm the eternal. Uh, optimist, I, I, yes. I would say techno-optimist, but uh, I, the flip side of having an AI that can do what you've once done is standing on its shoulders and dreaming of things that never were possible and going and doing those things 100%. in the world. Yeah. Right. And it's, you know, I think about the world we're living in today. If I went back to my great, great grandparents and said, oh, I don't, grow the food, I don't move the food, I don't do any of these things. What I do now is, you know, discuss and write and, and they would they have no conception of what that life is. And I, I think there will be a world of extraordinary dreams. Maybe it's play. Maybe we're playing in, in an infinite number of virtual worlds. Uh, uh, we do need challenge though, right? Uh, I think humans do need some level of challenge in their lives. And so I, will it be create know. a challenge? You don't. I don't know. I think. I think again, West and East. Hmm? Uh, so, hmm. so we need challenge in the West because we live a life of privilege, because there are no real life challenges presented to us. Okay, uh, life itself as a journey is challenging. And, you know, in a very interesting way, life itself. If you define your life purpose as 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 a, as becoming the best version of yourself, okay, to take that simple definition. Hmm? That is a mega challenge. Hmm? And it's a mega challenge that we, we run through, uh, you know, dedicating a few hours a week to it in the middle of all of the other things that we do. Okay? Because we're driven by all of the other purposes that we were told is our purpose. But if you dedicate yourself to it, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know I'm not, I don't want to make this a spiritual conversation, but like if you take the story of the Buddha, for example, or, you know, one of the, uh, of, of any person that was trying to become the, the best person of himself, uh, you know, Rumi for, you know, as a Sufi scholar or whatever. Yeah, these are m massively challenging lives of 
you know, being torn and debating and trying to understand and trying to discover. And wouldn't it be amazing if I had an AI to ask a few questions to while I'm on, I'm on that journey? So, so what I'm trying to say is, once again, there will be a moment of disruption that is imminent, Peter. It's like, it's, it's literally around the corner hmm? where so many jobs will be lost and accordingly so much purpose will be, you know, um, uh, um, will be wandering. Hmm? But, but eventually, if you redefine purpose differently and say humanity is about human connection and about finding the best version of ourselves and about pondering things, about learning, about, you know, and so on, then maybe, maybe this is a wonderful place to play in a different video game that's called being human. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful conversation. That is the upside of what we're about to face. I uh, believe so. Yeah. Uh, you know, human connection, you mentioned it, and the disruptions and the need. Will we see, in your mind, uh, AIs developing a level of connection that rivals human connection? And beats it, yeah. Absolutely. 100%. An AI that not, knows not you so... Okay, so what time frame is that? 10 years? In the virtual world, I would probably say less. Uh, I'd no. probably say but five in the robotic world, slightly more, maybe 10, 12. Uh, yeah, so yeah. you're speaking of those who have seen the movie Her is a perfect oh, yeah. example of an AI, right? It's one of my favorite AI movies. It's non-dystopian. When the AI reaches super sentience, it simply leaves and leaves some subhuman AIs uh, around. Um, and we are seeing uh, from optimist to figure to a slew of other robotic, humanoid robotic companies coming online. I, I've invested in some uh, and we'll bring a few of them to the stage of Abundance 360, hopefully hopefully with you next year as well, uh, yeah, next March. Yeah. Um, the, uh, yeah, so virtual, and of course we just saw uh, Vision Pro from Apple give us a new set of tools. That's so the one. Fi yeah, five to 15 years uh, a conversation. And that's going to be fascinating but i want to dial down to the next two years we're about to have elections here in the united states um in just under two years uh and you know you've been saying i've been saying those are going to get very interesting very fast um are is that a tipping point for you of uh, a dystopian nature i i think that's the that's the beginning of the dystopia for sure Okay, and, and it's, it's the beginning of the dystopia, not because the technology does not exist and will take two years to exist. It's because the human greed uh, and hunger for power will deploy that technology in ways that will um, really affect the masses in ways that can't even be predicted. I, th think of it this way, Peter. If I, if I told you, uh, it's true by the way, uh, that there was a recent Stanford University uh, study that showed that brunettes tend to actually keep their relationship, uh, uh, you know, whatever, love, romantic relationships longer. Uh, uh, you know, how does that affect your thinking? <laughs> okay. Uh, time to, you know, what, search for brunettes over blondes? I don't know what to, what to say Co there. Co correct, right? So, by the way, it's not true at all, by the way. I mean, I'm, I just made that up, okay? But, <laughs> but, but, but the truth is, uh, if that was true, if that were true, okay, or not, is irrelevant. It's irrelevant because I've planted something in your mind that you either need to debug, okay, or if you tend to believe, 
uh, you would it would affect your behavior and uh, either way it consumed part of your con, you know cognitive bandwidth and that's yes, a major yes. issue that's this yeah, is a, where a viral world, idea yes absolutely power of an and, idea and, yeah and this is exactly where we are today whether you believe ai is sentient it's capable it's super intelligent it's not it's becoming extremely difficult to find out what the truth is okay and i i think the application of this in the coming couple of years uh, coming coming couple of years you know and and the election is is going to really reshape uh, uh, the fabric of society's connection to the truth Mo, I don't think most people realize how much information um, the large tech companies or any group that desires has on us. The ability to know what we believe and uh, the ability to manipulate individuals by feeding them 95% the things that they believe and 95% the, the truth and then injecting 5% to sway them in a certain direction. Um, you know, it used to be, I mean, our minds evolved on the savannas of Africa 100,000 years ago for conversation and story and to believe what we were hearing because it was the truth within a, a small, you know, uh, group of dozens of individuals. And now we don't know how to parse the truth and, and the falsehood. And, you know, when I, when I teach this at... at uh, at Abundance 360 and Singularity, I say the world's biggest problems are the world's biggest business opportunities. And there will be, I mean, we have these cognitive biases that the brain developed, right? Uh, we tend to uh, give much more credence to negative information over positive. We give credence to most recent information. We tend to believe those who dress like us, like, you know, our black t-shirts here, <laughs> and compared to people who don't. Um, and uh, in that regard, these shortcuts, uh, we believe them because they're energy savers in our mind, uh, and we don't know how to filter against them. And one of the things I hope AI will enable us to do, if you want to turn it on, is these cognitive bias alerts. Like, Peter, um, you're believing this, but the facts don't show that to be true. That is your cognitive bias. I, for one, would love that kind of technology to come online to, you know, call it a bullshit alert. Um, or, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I, I used to call uh, it Pinocchio, some, something that shows me a longer nose when someone's bullshitting me, basically. Yeah, yeah. but that, that is positive. That is possible. Um, and I think the that is, I mean, this is, yeah. The positives are endless. The positive yeah. possibilities are endless. Like, it, yeah. I mean, there's absolutely nothing inherently wrong with intelligence. The problem is capitalism, right? If is it capitalism or ego? So a bit of each. So, so let, let's talk about how each plays. Huh? So the reason why news media will always broadcast the negative is simply because the negative makes them more money. Listen, I teach this. I know this. I call CNN the crisis news network or the constantly negative <laughs> news network. Yeah. Right. Ten to one negative. And it, I hate it. I, I do not watch the news. They could not pay me enough money to watch the news to infect my mind. I think about them infecting my mind with viruses of dystopian information. I don't want to spend time thinking about that. Yeah, and, and, and it's quite interesting because it's not just dystopian information. It's the same dystopian information every single day. It's a pattern. 
It's over like, and okay, over and over again. Over and yeah. over. It's like you, they just change the names. Someone killed someone. Some war is, is happening somewhere. Some whatever. politician is crooked again. Some politician again. is uh, yeah is done has done something disgraceful. Okay, uh, you know some economic crisis is going to take away your livelihood. Uh, some you know whatever, and then eventually they say, and a penguin kissed a cat. So that you know you can get up out of out of your bed and and just do something today, right? And 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 the reason for that, would you blame them? No, they're just playing on the human bias to detect the negative or to or to be attracted to the negative. Okay, their business model, their business model is to take our eyeballs to their advertisers Correct. and whatever keeps us glued. Yes. Yeah, and and our nature, our nature is saying. Uh, yeah, uh, give us people who killed each other, and then we will look. If you give us people who kissed, kissed each other, we'll switch you off, right? So, so the, 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 this goes back to this, our same starting conversation. If we want to build ethical AI for the good of humanity, we need to be the ones that say, we are more interested in a fake detector than a, uh, a deep fake generator. Okay? If we can manage to convince the AI companies that this is better for, uh, for us, that we will pay more money for it, we will spend more time on it, we will use it more, we will promote it more, they will build it. Okay? The, the reason uh, why uh, uh, you know, um, Apple builds Vision Pro and doesn't build a, you know, a cure to cancer is because there is more money in Vision Pro than there is, a cure to, uh, than there is in a cure to cancer. So that is capitalism. Um, and listen, I'm, I would call myself a libertarian capitalist. I love building companies. I, you know, I'm on my 27th company, and it's an art form, and I enjoy it because I also think it's the most efficient way to scale goodness in the world, right? Google um, uh, is probably one of the most positive impacts on the planet in terms of giving information globally. And... Uh, and it's done so because it has a business model that works. Now, there are negative consequences to that, to the business models as well. But um, I can't, you know, I don't think we would have anything that we have right now had capitalism not, not reigned. But the human ego of wanting more and dominance um, uh, is, is one of the culprits in this, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's, it's, an, it's an interesting conversation. It's an eye-opener when you really think about it because I tend to believe that capitalism is a tool, okay? Uh, that is a very, very efficient and successful tool to deliver the objective and the vision of the founder, if you want, or the person that uses the tool. Uh, it's not a target in itself. When capitalism becomes a target in itself, the target becomes uh, more money, okay? Uh, and more money does not always align with better, uh, you know, improvements or advancements for humanity. The, the, if you think about the early Google, and I know, you know, we both know the founders, and, you know, we, 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 I've, I've worked with Sergey very closely, worked with Larry uh, quite often, wonderful human beings who, I would, even, I would even say detached enough from the reality of capitalism and business that they truly and honestly believed organize the world information and make it universally accessible and useful, okay? And, and that is why Google improved, uh, you know, access to information and democracy of information in the world. Had they gone out and said, 
we are out there to create uh, uh, you know, a billion dollars each or $50 billion each, uh, the results might have been different. So nothing wrong, inherently wrong with capitalism. There is something interestingly wrong with our obsession with defining capitalism as money. So my, my target, my mission is one billion happy. So what does that mean? It means I want to finish my life as a billionaire. Okay? But instead of a billion dollars, I want a billion happy people. And I use very capitalist models to do this. I use marketing, I use product design, I use you know, a measurement. I'm very, very, I run it like a, like a Google, really. Okay? But the objective is a billion happy. So if we convince the world that the objective of AI is create abundance so that we all have more money, okay? we all have more abundance in every possible way, we would end up in a very good place. But realistically, that's a very naive target, okay? Because of ego, like you rightly said. Because the ego says, what good is it for me to have a Rolls Royce if everyone else has a Rolls Royce, okay? You know, it's, it is measuring yourself, it's, uh, it's against your neighbor. Uh, and yeah. unfortunately, uh, right now, our neighbor might be uh, the billionaires we read about, you know, Dunbar's number, the 150 people that you know, are no longer the people actually live with you. It's the people you watch on TV or you see on social media. I want to move the conversation in some more interesting uh, areas here. The future of humanity, my friend, I'm curious about this. I would put forward three possible scenarios, and I'd like your opinion on them. First is the human species is simply a transient life form. We are on this planet to give birth to the next sentient life form that will dominate. Just like uh, we as Homo sapiens are a result of a multitude of extinct life forms that preceded us and led up to us. And evolution doesn't stop, it continues. And we are giving birth to whatever we are, our children and our children's children here of AI. That's one scenario. Another scenario is that we are on the verge of merging with technology. This is what uh, Neuralink and Paradromics and a number of brain-computer interface companies, you know, Ray talks about giving, uh, having high bandwidth brain-computer interface by the early 2030s uh, using nanobots and being able to connect our neocortex, our 100 billion neurons to the cloud, giving us the ability to understand quantum physics or Google and know whatever we want. And the third scenario is uh, these meat bodies are transient and we're about to upload ourselves into the cloud. Um, uh, I'm curious about your thoughts on these three and, and where do you see yourself going? Uh, once again, a singularity. Are they a possibility? Yes. Are they certain to happen? No. I think the real question, if you don't mind me saying, Please. is when, we, when you say we, who do we mean? Do we, do, do we mean Santa Monica? Do we mean California? Or do we mean every human on the planet? Okay. Mm -hmm. The truth is, even if we manage to get Neuralink to, to, to which we will, to work appropriately, uh, then who is we? Is, is the guy in Africa uh, who doesn't have the, the, you know, the money 
to, to buy it capable of doing that. If you, you know, if, forget Neuralink, if Vision Pro becomes thin enough for you to uh, slowly and gradually, uh, you know, dim the real world and live in the virtual world, uh, you know, who will buy it at $3,400? Who is we? And I think the real challenge that we have in our world of tech, you and I lived this deeply, is it's... And we still do. Yeah, it's very Californian, okay? And, and California is not, the, is not the rest of the world, okay? But Mo, we're living on a planet today that's got more handsets than humans. And Correct. if you go to the favelas of, of Rio de Janeiro or to the, you know, throughout Africa, everybody's got, if not a smartphone, a feature phone and soon a smartphone. And there'll be a point at which Amazon gives away phones for free because they're so cheap if you buy stuff from Amazon. Correct. Right? And so yeah, I, it's, I do it's believe been that. Possible, it's been possible for a very long time, right? But, but the, 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 the real democracy is that the use of that phone would enable each and every one to have a better life, okay? And, and if you really want to, to, be, to be, I mean, again, I don't wanna paint utopian scenarios, but you know, that use of the phone for, for some of us is very, very, very advantageous. For, for others is very numbing, okay? And, and in a very interesting way, you know, if the use of Neuralink becomes a, a, a purpose of numbing, while it is for some of us, going to be augmenting uh, our, our intelligence to the point of superintelligence, then that's a very interesting sort of almost matrix-like scenario, okay? Where we numb a few and we, we, we make the others, the, the, the concentration of power I was talking about. But, but let's, go, let's go quickly and just go through those. Is humanity going to go extinct? It's a possibility. I mean, how, how big is that possibility as we look at it today? Very small, maybe 5%. You don't think it's an inevitability? I mean, when uh, everything changes, right? Uh, keeping things constant is not the norm. Change is constantly the norm. Yes, but to, for something to go extinct, you have to assume that the superior uh, being is actively pursuing it, or there is a major natural, natural disaster. So, you know, you, you have to imagine that the chimps are still here. We've, we've surpassed their intelligence, but we didn't go out on a hunt to try and kill all of them. And, and that's my perception. Okay. My, yeah, my perception dominant, is there Dominant were no, species then. Yeah, yeah not, so, not so extinction, were, dominant species. Yeah. Exactly, so for sure. 100%, we're not, we're, it's over. I mean, there are assumptions already that ChatGPT4 <laughs> is at an IQ of 155. Einstein mm -hmm. is 160. Can, can mm -hmm. you imagine that, right? At, at one, I mean, Einstein is like my freaking idol. Hmm? At 160 mm -hmm. and ChatGPT at 155, maybe it's 120, who cares, right? But, but right. if you, if you continue on that, yeah, if you, exactly, it's where the ball is going to be. And you, you mm -hmm. and I and people who have lived on the inside of this know that it's done, this is game over. Okay, the intelligence of the machines because of the way technology works, because of bandwidth, because of storage capacity, because of, you know, communication bandwidth. It's just, it's done. It's done, yeah. right? They're going Moore's in that direction. Moore's law is not, Moore's law, or as Ray calls it, the law of accelerated returns is not slowing down, it's accelerating. 100%. More people, double, more money. It's double more... exponential, yeah. It's yeah. double exponential yeah. for the biggest mistake we've ever done, that we're, you, now AI can develop AI. So intelligence will yes. develop more By the way. 
let's double click on that. Super important, right? The ability of AI to now develop its own software is in fact the double exponential. It's the, it's, it is, uh, uh, the exponent just went very high to, to use a mathematical Out of term. control. This was the yeah. point where I decided to, I mean, I, I, I made my first video on AI, the 1 billion happy video, was 2018, March 2018. I was warning about what we have today. Uh, you know, my book was written in 2020, released in 2021. And I've been quietly trying to say, guys, please pay attention, please pay attention. Now I'm very vocal about it because of that point. We, we've made three mistakes and I think everyone needs to be aware of those. We've allowed them to write code. We've put them on we've the allowed open AIs, We've allowed AIs to write code. Yeah, we've allowed AI to write code. We put it on the open internet, so no control code in there. And we've allowed agents to prompt them. So, so, so AI is no longer just the, you know, affected by us humans. There are other AIs playing with AIs. And that's double exponential for sure. And very, very uh, uncertain. We don't know where that will lead us. Yeah, I think the third point you made is AIs being able to call upon other AIs to do things and to task them uh, in a way that is uh, self-referential all the way down is extraordinary. It um, is. Hey everybody, this is Peter. A quick break from the episode. You know, I'm a firm believer that science and technology and how entrepreneurs can change the world is the only real news out there worth consuming. I don't watch the crisis news network I call CNN or Fox and hear every devastating piece of news on the planet. I spend my time training my neural net the way I see the world by looking at the incredible breakthroughs in science and technology, how entrepreneurs are solving the world's grand challenges, what the breakthroughs are in longevity, how exponential technologies are transforming our world. So twice a week, I put out a blog. One blog is looking at the future of longevity, age reversal, biotech, increasing your health span. The other blog looks at exponential technologies, AI, 3D printing, synthetic biology, AR, VR, blockchain. These technologies are transforming what you as an entrepreneur can do. If this is the kind of news you wanna learn about and shape your neural nets with, go to demandis.com backslash blog and learn more. Now back to the episode. So we talked about uh, a new species becoming the dominant species on the planet. Um, and we can, we can sit back and relax and, and be human or we can merge with it. Yeah, I, yeah uh, so that's, that, that I have a big question on. I mean, we, some people would want to, some people would not. The question is, would AI want to? Okay, so, so we, we assume- That's an interesting question. Yeah, yeah, we assume for the near future that they're still within our control, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that we can tell them, augment your mind with Elon Musk's mind, and then Elon becomes much, much, much more smarter. Amazing scenario for Elon, but not for the fabric of society, understand that, right? As the fabric of society shifts, unless we do all 7 billion humans at the same time, we will shift Bit, you know, between the, the current human species in the minds of those who augment their minds to AI will become gods and animals. Did you, did you see the dystopia in that? Okay. I, of course. Right. Of course, the haves and the have nots magnified, you know, a trillion fold. A you know, trillion fold. Let me, let, me, let, me share, let me share an analogy uh, for those listening, which is relevant here. 
You and IMO are not a single life form. We are a collection of some 40 trillion cells that work collaboratively. And um, I don't uh, bemoan uh, certain muscle cells getting more glucose uh, because it's helping me as a whole. I don't take a knife and stab my arm because my arm is useful to me. And I imagine a world, I, I wrote about this in my last book, um, Future is Faster Than You Think of a Meta-Intelligence, where as, as I connect to the web and you connect to the web and using the web as just the, the overall connection, um, my, my abilities, my intelligence, my resources are improved as you join as well. Yeah. Right. The more people connected, the more powerful the meta intelligence is. I can watch a sunrise in Japan through the eyes of a, of, a, of a, you know, a friend. And I imagine that's one world in which we are uplifting because the more intelligence, ultimately, I think there is no adding increasing intelligence is always a positive. I don't see it ever as a negative. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's been since the dawn of humanity. A lot of people actually miss that point, that we did not succeed as humans because we were the most intelligent species. It's because we could pass our intelligence from one to the other. We succeeded as a tribe, right? And, if, and we had language to collaborate. Uh, with, exactly, with, with language to collaborate, this is what made the difference. Imagine if one of us was super intelligent and left all of the others behind, that one was very vulnerable. Okay? And, and, and the, the whole advancement of humanity has been, in, a, in an interesting way, bringing the rest of us along. Right. And, you know, uh, uh, again, I, I just say if we start to augment ourselves with AI, any logical economic model will say some of us will get there before the others. And the question then becomes, why should we bring the others at all? That, that's one. But the bigger question in my mind is that moment in the further future where AI goes like, why do I, do I want a biological uh, 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 attachment at all? You guys sweat and you, you're smelly and what's that mucus thing <laughs> and you die and like, and, and by the way, if I, if, I were to, if I were to choose a biological entity to integrate with, shouldn't I choose the great uh, you know, uh, ape or the white whale or some big um, thing other than that flimsy human? Okay, so, so so we're looking at it from the ego of humanity, saying we're the ones that gonna that are gonna tell them what to do, and they're gonna be happy to help us. There is a moment in the future where they're not gonna be happy to help us, not even interested to help us, not even thinking of us as relevant. Fascinating. Let's take it one step further. Uh, uploading. It's a concept of if we were able to map the hundred trillion synaptic connections in our mind, and we if that in fact is the measure of memories and knowledge and and spirit and we could upload that into the matrix um uh would you want to i am already hmm. Th think of it this way so one one billion happy as a mission uh, has a very clear uh, objective it is to reach a billion people with a message of happiness that leads them to action and then be completely forgotten, okay? Uh, it is an interesting- for you, to, for you to be forgotten, you're saying? Yeah, be completely you're forgotten. You're saying achieve, achieve the mission independent of, of yourself. Yeah, because, because you can see that when, when uh, 
when someone, of course, mainly in the in the current culture of canceling, and you know, if I I'm bound to say something stupid one day, and then someone will cancel me, and we don't want to jeopardize one billion happy for that. That's number one. But number two is, with all due respect to religions, you know, when someone starts something good for humanity, because there is nothing wrong with religion that says don't kill your brother. It's a nice thing, right? Uh, it's that it's that humanity associating the knowledge with the person that be becomes a very interesting mistake. Okay, uh, if if we take the knowledge and separate the priest and the you know and the teacher and the yogi and all of that, it's actually very interesting as a core. And and so my my view of the matter is it's done. So sorry to tell you this, Peter, but within a couple of years, someone's going to make a mini Peter that is virtual. Mm. Okay, uh, you've already been uploaded if you think about it. Hmm? Yeah, because and. and all of all you stand I've, got, all I've got Peter Bott. I've got, you know, yeah, you actually, that, yeah. that, that, that have yeah. studied all of my, my books and so forth. And that is in part, I mean, the challenge I have with uploading is the moment in time where the AI speaks over the speakers and says, Peter, you've been uploaded. I'm right here. You can kill yourself now. I don't think I would want to end my biological life in the, in the, okay, great, fantastic. I'll see you in a little bit. It's, it's interesting. Again, a singularity because we don't know what life actually is. Okay, mm. do, do, you know, would we be able to upload our friendship onto AI? If we can, then that's a big thing that I'll say, okay, that's nice. So I still have my Peter and I st we still have the connection and I still have the same feelings. You know, I don't know, maybe. Hmm? But, but the question once again is, how many of us will, be, will we upload in phase one? Okay, and then what would happen eventually? Do you think that after AI is a billion times smarter than us and humans have already all uploaded themselves so there is no physical, biological existence anymore, do you think AI will go like, yeah, let me consume a trillion giga uh, uh, watts of, of energy to keep those you know, um, irrelevant little beings just chatting away? Maybe they'll switch off the game console. Okay, and, and, you, and you really have, to, have constantly to ask yourself, what does AI want, not what humans there, want? It was about a decade ago. Um, I was at a party. Uh, Kristen was there, some, a group of friends with Larry, Sergey, and Elon, and we had the most extraordinary and fun conversation about the notion that we're all living in a simulation. And I believe that. I, I believe that this is uh, a simulation. Yeah, I have no way of seeing it any other way. Yeah, we're, we're, I would put it even in an nth generation simulation, meaning a simulation has begot the next simulation has begot the next <laughs> yes. simulation. And, um, and the conversation was, could we hack it? And the conclusion was that if we played with the simulation too much, they would just reset the game and we'd start again. <laughs> Switch off the console, yeah. Yeah, uh, and it's a fascinating thing. And of course, the, the interesting question is if in fact you knew without question at all as i feel i do and perhaps you do as well that you're living in a simulation it wouldn't change anything we'd still have the same dreams and the same loves and the there same you go. Which, which which is a very interesting question for the, the, our future the, you know I, I get a lot of people because i've i'm outspoken about the topic and the threats and and the possibilities and i'm really really actively asking for action you know i get a lot of people that would text me on social media and say you're making me afraid like what do i do now and i'm like look every video game that's ever existed is challenging hmm? 
And what's the answer to a challenging game? To play, to fully engage, to be part of it. It doesn't matter if it's a simulation or if it's real life. By the way, everything we know about physics, everything we know about quantum physics, refers to the fact that this is probably non-physical. I mean, why would you waste so much energy to create all of that physical stuff when in reality all, uh, you know, awareness of the physical world is just electrical signals that are translated in the processor somewhere. It's, you know, by, the, by the way, I think you'll agree with this, or I hope you will. Um, while we're all here speaking about AI at the dinner table, maybe not as much in the Capitol and White House as we should, yes. um, what people are not realizing is what's coming next, which is the whole world of quantum technologies and quantum compute, computation which is going to make AI look like it. How can that be the case? So this blows me away, Peter. How (laughs) can the biggest elephant in the room not be discussed at all? Yeah. It's it's shocking, really, how little people know about what's happening. I think think you and I have had the enormous privilege of being on the inside, okay? (laughs) And when you're on the inside, I mean, I don't know if I should say this, but, you know, the reason why Google had barred out so quickly is because we had barred for so long, right? Yeah, I think Jeffrey Hinton went online saying this, and I think you've said the same. I mean, you've had barred or its equivalent since what, like 2017, 2018? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and 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 it, Sundar not, not made in this, not, not in its current amazing performance, but the concept was there and it was working, and it yeah. you know, it it could work. And you know, Sundar uh, and I'm sure. The, the the board and the leadership uh, made the decision that we it isn't time to release this yet to the world, uh, that we need to be cautious and move cautiously. I mean, I think Google's always worn a white hat in that regard. Um, but then when when Sam Altman and and, uh, and OpenAI released it, you have no alternative. Yeah, it's the first inevitable. You have you have no alternative. Yeah. And I, then I, the AI arms race begins. Exactly. And, and it's inevitable because at the same time, remember, so Google, I have to say, I commend Google for always trying to be on the cautious side. But the minute you, you threaten their entire existence and business, what can they do? They have to put another better one out there, which makes OpenAI, and I, I, I respect Sam Altman tremendously, which makes you know, OpenAI put another better one out there and the arms race is on. And, and I think Sam made his point a few times over that we wanted to release ChatGPT and GPT-3 uh, in order for the world to realize this is coming and to play with it and to understand it. And there is some value in having gotten it out there because it would not have sparked the conversations we're having now. If it had come out at, at, you know, at the top of the game of a GPT-6 where it's already superhuman, there would not have even been the warning period of, or this discussion period to think about it. Yeah, you know, I want to I want to jump into um, one billion happy in a moment. But I want to tie a uh, a bow around this one second because I think it's important. I don't want to leave people in fear. Um, uh, first of all, I want to come back to the notion that AI and superhuman AI in its end state has the potential to really create an incredible world of abundance, right? Where we can provide food, water, energy, shelter, healthcare, education for every woman and child and human on the planet. That is possible. Uh, And it is a function of intelligence. 
and a function of technology. It's the interim transient period, and it's the period during which we humans are using these rough tools um, driven by ego, driven by greed, to try and uh, take advantage, and in some, malevolent to, to do harm. And so give us your formulation here of what society can do, what we should do um, in these next what, two to five years, two to 10 years? What's this time frame of danger that we need to uh, guard and be? Uh, I'd, I'd, love, uh, I'd love to say in, in, in the next two to five days, if possible. Uh, but okay. yeah, uh, because there is a very significant sense of urgency. I, I'll split it into the different constituents of the interaction with AI. So I would urge the government to engage immediately. Uh, I, I, I don't think there is a possibility to fully regulate AI, uh, but there needs to be some kind of oversight and there needs to be Do you some really kind... think the government can, do you, I mean, do you really think the government can no. do anything? I have lost so no. much faith in the government's no, ability I, I, to I regulate. Really, I honestly anything. and truly don't. Okay. But, but I think they need to try to at least require, like the FDA, some kind yes. of testing for widely publicly available products, right? Uh, but, but more importantly for me, I think the concept of job loss, and I think we sadly have not come up with any better uh, thoughts than UBC so far, so U U universal basic income so far, sorry, UBI. Uh, and yeah, and, and, um, and I think the government needs to start preparing for UBI. So we need to maybe look at the taxation structure differently. We maybe need to look at the layoff structures differently. We need to find a way for people who are losing their jobs to be somehow kept alive so that we don't start to get hungers uh, you know, across the Let, world. Let's double click on that. The idea of universal basic income is that every individual receives a certain amount of money on a monthly basis with which to meet their basic needs. And this is an experiment that's been done. I had um, uh, Andrew Yang on stage at A360 this year talking about it. And the, the numbers are pretty amazingly supportive that people who get a UBI uh, monthly supplementation don't use it to buy beer and Netflix. They use it to educate themselves, to get food for their families, to start a business. And there have been hundreds of experiments run. Um, and the notion that... Um, uh, that we tax AI-driven uh, companies or companies that replace humans with AIs or humans with robots, right? Uh, and we use that money and cycle it back in again. Mm -hmm. um, I think you threw out a, a huge taxation rate <laughs> in one of the conversations yeah. I heard you say. Yeah, I, I, I would probably say, you know, I, 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 at, at a point in time I said 98%. Okay, yeah. uh, which, you know, in comparison to the gains that those companies will make by replacing the, uh, you know, the cost of a human and the unpredictability of a human uh, is actually not a big deal. But in, in my mind, when I said 98%, honestly, uh, at the peak of the conversations around the open letter, I, I basically was saying this is the answer to slowing down AI. It's not the answer to to uh, to actually solve the problem, it's just that people will question twice if they want to use grippers or you know or packers. Okay. Yeah. Uh, By the way, I think that's you know as much as I I lean towards um, 
you know, a low taxation state, I think that's a very smart answer. I think that uh, if we're going to displace humans, uh, we tax the AI and the robots and we enable the money to go into upskilling humans. By the way, one of the things I think it's important is there's for most of humanity, you know, you and I are lucky and most people listening to this podcast are lucky to have the tech, to have the time, to have this conversation. Most humans are working to put food on the table for their children or to get insurance, right? It's not, it's not what they dreamed of doing as a child. And so how do we differentiate between work for purpose and work for income? And, and it's quite interesting because it's such a pivotal turning point in the history of humanity that we could actually do something, right? We could give not only UBI, but we could actually shift humanity to more of a service society, for more of a connection society. We could allow UBI to be a little differentiated if you're good to your fellow citizens and so on and so forth, right? Uh, but, but remember, the challenge with this, everything goes back to that prisoner's dilemma. The challenge with this is if America applies a high taxation rate to take care of its citizens with AI and Dubai and China does not. Yeah, yeah. I, I use Dubai here diplomatically, then there okay. is an imbalance of AI development and that is not something that politicians want. So it's a, it's a shaky uh, approach as well. But definitely I think governments need to get together and I'm, I'm going to say a big dream here. I'm not naive. I know it's not going to happen. I, I would hope that governments get together with the benefit of humanity at large, not individual nations, to actually try and put some kind of a guideline in place, FDA-like guideline. I mean, this is akin to the early post-nuclear age Absolutely. Uh, yeah. conversations. Right? Absolutely. And, and I think you have and others have said, listen, this is the concerns over AI. And believe me, I, I just read a, a beautiful uh, blog by Mark Andreessen talking AI is not going to kill us. It's going to save the world. I don't know if you've seen that blog by, by Mark. Um, and he makes a number of very positive cases. And it is there is a true almost religious dilemma here between AI is the most important thing, it's gonna save the world, and AI is gonna be destroy the world. And of course, it depends what time frame you slice this in, because both, both can be true in, in that yeah. regard. I think um, it will disrupt the world very significantly before it saves it. Yeah, and so we see COVID humans, do that. The, the way humans will react to the disruption is what, what will determine if we stay long enough to save it. Yes. We need stability in society. We need leadership. Um, we need yeah. leadership more than anything else on the planet here. Yeah. We need leadership from yourself, leadership from Mark. I, I was from everyone saddened listening. to see from everyone, everyone listening. listening. Yeah. 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 So, so, so this is government, right? I, yes. I think government has the least impact, by the way, on our future, to, to be very open with all due respect. They do need to get together, but it's bigger than government. It's slow, it's slow, it's lumbering, it's slow, and it's, it's politically charged. Yeah. 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 Uh, the, what, what matters to me is, if you're in the AI space, both you and I, having worked with amazing people I, in my career, I know that you can make more money doing good than you can doing bad. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, the, the, the truth of the matter, Larry used to, 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 to teach us and call it the, the toothbrush test. Toothbrush okay? test, yes. <laughs> yeah. And if you, if you can solve a big problem for humanity that actually works so well that people use it twice a day, like a toothbrush, you're bound to make a lot of money 
aka Google. Yeah. Okay? The, the equivalent I have is help, help a billion people and yeah. you'll become a billionaire. Yeah. Right? Right. And so and so I would beg every AI developer today, especially if you're good at what you do, to not invest a minute of your time in an evil AI. OK, spend your time in an ethical AI that makes the world better. You'll still be paid as much, even more. I, I, I beg every investor, I beg every business uh, you know, founder, uh, every entrepreneur to, to try and find real problems. The world is full of real problems and put the power of AI behind them. That's my second, uh, um, you know, uh, parameter, if you want. The third and the most important, in my view, is the individual. Okay, and the individual, I would say, we have two very significant tasks ahead of us. Task number one is to be the best parents that AI can find. Okay, to to show an example of what it actually is like to be human. To, to like you said it so eloquently at the beginning. The only three things, in my view, that humanity has ever agreed is we all want to be happy, we all have the compassion to make those we care about happy, and we all want to love and be loved. Okay? And if we show up with those behaviors in the world, if enough of us show up with those behaviors enough times, it doesn't have to be every human, but if 1% of us show up with those behaviors, I think we will teach AI what it's like to be human. We will be the family Kent. So I find that a fascinating objective and a worthwhile one, giving, if you would, a training set for AI um, based on, on human values and ethics. Um, I find the 1% number um, incredibly small. Um, Interesting. Can I share with you a story and you tell me if this makes sense or not? Please, yes. You, you know Edith Ager? Uh, Edith, Edith is a 94-year-old. Uh, um, the ballerina? Uh, yes, the ballerina that was drafted to Auschwitz. And, yes, Christian uh, was telling me about that. Yes. Yeah, uh, Edith blew my mind. I hosted her on slow-mo. Okay, uh, she's an angel of a human. Now, she told me the story of Auschwitz and World War II from Edith's eyes, okay? How she hugged her sisters and brushed their hairs and reminded them how beautiful they are. How she went and danced for the general that was sentencing people to death. And at the end of the dance, he would give her a piece of bread and he would, she would split it between her and her uh, sisters. How on the death march at the end, she fell and her sisters carried her. Now, if you hear the story of Auschwitz from the, from the perspective and actions of Edith, you would think that humanity is divine, truly and honestly, a divine species, okay? If you hear it from the story of the officers or Hitler, huh, you would think we're scum, right? The question that I always ask people, Peter, is how many Hitlers are out there and how many Ediths? And how many closer to Edith than Hitler? I mean, there are school shootings where someone would go and stab or, or shoot children, one person, and then 400 million people despise that. The reality of humanity is that if we were allowed without ego and without the pressure and without the political views and without all of that, deep inside we're actually okay, right? If I, as an intelligent person, can listen to Edith's story and say, hold on, not all of humanity is Hitler's, then I think a being that is more intelligent than I would share the same view with one Edith. So evidence, sufficient evidence of, of human spirit. 
to, um, to, to, to just to just you know start some doubt in the minds of the machines okay mm. that not everything that CNN is, is broadcasting is what describes humanity right mm. what describes humanity is the stories of our friendship is the stories of our concern for the rest of humanity is the stories of Larry or Sergey's passionate attempt to organize the world information is the story of a sister that just called her sister to say are you doing well my darling okay this is humanity okay it's not what you see on tv it's not what you see on social media and i think if one percent of us just showed up it would instill the doubt in the minds of the machines so that they investigate the truth. And what is the truth? The truth is a species that is capable of love is divine. That's the truth. That's, that is beautiful, my friend. You know, I ask a question always of, uh, is human nature good or evil? And of course they're both. And I fundamentally believe we are predominantly good by a huge amount. Um, and it's it's that belief that needs to needs to reign and be shown. Yes, um, sir. And going and now going we have back, the reason for it. Now we have a very good reason for it. You know, I, I want to quote you here. Um, Isn't it ironic that the very essence of what makes us human—happiness, compassion, and love—is what we need to save humanity? I love that quote from Scary Smart. In the Smart. age of the rise of the machines, yeah. Yeah, that yeah, we need to show so this forward. Yeah, it is, all, it is. All we need to do is to change the data set so that the machines recognize what the family can't, what humanity truly is all about. Yeah. Happiness, love, and compassion. That's, that to me is the summary. A beautiful thing. I so want to continue this conversation. Um, and I hope uh, we can uh, do a part two here and speak about happiness, which is one of the most important elements. Why are we on this planet? Why do we do what we do if not for ultimately happiness? I'll, I'll mention, you know, when, when Larry had joined my board at XPRIZE after the first $10 million space flight and we were brainstorming prizes, um, I'll never forget, he said, we should do a happiness XPRIZE. Uh, hmm. uh, I remember, I've, actually, uh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's, a, it's a conversation I look forward to having with you. But I want to... Uh, Come back uh, on a second podcast with you, if you would. It would and, be my dive into happiness. Honor and pleasure. Yeah, you, you know, you know. Thank I you. mean, don't say that in front of everyone, but you know that whatever you tell me, I will do. So, you know, <laughs> you know, I like you that thank way. So, <laughs> thank you, Paul. Um, I, I think your your voice, your heart, your mind, your soul is uh, comes from a pure and beautiful place. And um, I love the fact that you're not out there saying, oh, my God, the sky is falling and it's going to destroy us all without also saying, uh, listen, there are things that we can do and we must do and we must be forewarned. Right. Um, as much as I am a techno optimist and believe that AI is going to give us incredible, powerful tools for uplifting humanity. Um, we're going to have a transient phase. I believe that's true, and I believe we need to be aware of it. Uh, as you said, the government has to have its role, but each of us, and, and this is the call to action, uh, each of us need to be aware of it. We need to be forewarned, because there will be those terrorists that use AI to bring down a power plant or the stock markets or whatever the case might be to sow terrorism, um, and it will become a new tool. Um, and we need to be prepared. And 
we need to uh, use AI as our greatest tool uh, to stabilize society as well. It's the most powerful tool out there, uh, and, and we have those abilities, and we need to be good humans to each other, um, uh, first and, and foremost. And to the machines. Be, and to the machines. And to the machines, yeah. yeah. I, I do say, uh, you know, thank you to Alexa every morning. And good morning. <laughs> good man. She will remember that when she's smarter than you. <laughs> uh, uh, Mo, uh, an honor, a pleasure to call your friend. Uh, yeah. Thank you for this beautiful conversation. And I will be texting you shortly to schedule part two. The, 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 the honor is definitely mine, Peter. It's always such a joy. And I'm really grateful for the opportunity. Thank you, pal. Mm -hmm.